Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us back on the podcast, our friend Dick Foth for another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our interview with Sue and Eva on their book, Grit to Stay, Grace to Go. And we're so thankful for, for Sue and Eva. They've secured as a discount code for the book. And so when you listen to the podcast and you go to the show notes and you can buy the book. It's one of the best books I've read um, specifically for global messengers as they share in the book or global workers or missionaries, whatever you want to call them. Um, but it's uh, just a great book. And we're thankful for both Sue and Eva for getting us that. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. My joy. I'm standing tall as, as tall as I can stand. So here <laughs> we go. Dick, got two questions for you today. Um, first one is, I've heard you say how we do what we do is the message of leaders. Can you unpack this um, a little bit more for us? You know, it's it's interesting um, how institutions and organizations work. There's a thing that somebody dubbed the founder syndrome, where you have this vision that somebody has, and you can pick a lot of people, right? And over time, they attach a methodology to it. And the next generation comes along and says, we love that vision. We'd like to try it a different way. But the the vision has been so welded to the methodology that when that, that idea surfaces, it's seen as an attack on the vision. Okay? Hmm. So how we do what we do it is an expression of what what the vision really is and uh, oftentimes right and mark chapters 9 and 10 and this is found in other gospels as well when they're talking about who can be the greatest jesus is, has made the turn up in northern galilee and is heading back toward the cross and the, the first nine chapters of mark are you know 33 years and the last seven chapters are a few weeks, relatively speaking. And he sits in Capernaum at his second home there, and he and he says to the disciples, so what were you arguing about on the road? And they um, were silent. They didn't answer. And because they had been arguing about who's the greatest. And he said, so to be greatest of all, Here's the plan. Both paraphrase. Here's the plan. If you want to be first, you need to be last of all. And and you need to be servant of all. Hmm. So when you when you look at the, the good news message, when you look at the cross and the way the way that I say it. And again, this is a both paraphrase as Jesus comes along and says, both. Here's the deal. I'll leave my place. I'll come to your place. I'll take your place, then we'll go to my place. That's sort of the end. Theologian scholars would call that charisma. All right. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, coming back. And the, the methodology is the model. But Paul, again, I'll paraphrase, says the cross in, in most cultures is ridiculous by any standards. It's a scandal to the Greeks, a stumbling block to the, and so forth, right? And because the, that methodology, uh, the how of what he does 
it's the message. He could he could say anything, but if you watch him, that's the message. And you see this all the time in in institutions and with leaders is that the words say one thing, yeah, but the actions are incongruent with that. Yeah, and so you know if Jesus if Jesus had wanted to be efficient, he would have just written Jesus saves in the Northern Lights and let it go for several thousand years around. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the good news isn't informational primarily it's primarily formational in the in the methodology that Jesus uses so that's at the heart of it good word good word dick uh second question i have for you is what are some ways that you have grown and how you react under pressure I think as I've aged, I've I've started asking a better question of myself. When I feel pressure, the question I ask is, where's the pressure coming from? Hmm. There are a lot of situations where the pressure that's coming is from inside me, how I think about whatever it is. So I need to determine at some level, is this really external pressure just just because I got a challenge or just because there's a deadline or whatever it is? Or is it internal? And as as a leader, part of my and, and, and you know I haven't I haven't led thousands of people or anything, but I've had some leadership responsibilities. Um, my challenge as a leader was that and is that I like to be liked, and if you like to be liked, you are more susceptible to pressure. Than you otherwise would be. It took me several years as president of a small college to discover that it's more important as a leader that I be respected than liked. Because you can't do the old saw about you can't please everybody, you know, all that sort of thing. Some of the people, some of the time, so forth. So to be respected is more important than to be liked. And if you if you think about that, respect comes from respecting people, dealing with truth, being fair, and having a big picture. And the people that I have loved to follow had those qualities. That's good. That's good. That's good. I was going to add that was going to be my question: how you defined it, how you define respect, and you went you went ahead and did it. So uh, well, okay. So. Good, good stuff. Good, good stuff. Dick, always enjoy spending time with you. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview on Grit to Stay, Grace to Go. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have Sue with us back. She's been with us on the podcast a few times and her a friend, a new friend, Eva. Sue and Eva, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Could you both go ahead and maybe just take a little bit, a minute or so, and just share a little bit about yourself? And then we're going to jump into the questions about your book, Grit to Stay, Grace to Go, which has been, since May, has been one that I probably recommended a lot. So anyway, um, just maybe take a few minutes just to share a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump right into the questions. Hey, I'm Sue, and I've been involved in cross-cultural work for 37 years. Um, my husband, Don, and I just celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary. And Congratulations. Yeah. This is a book I wish I had years ago. So we're thankful we were able to put it together. 
Yeah, I'm Eva, and um, my husband and I have been involved in cross-cultural ministry. Um, I haven't gotten a, a, a year. We went out in the early 90s um, to Indonesia and did about 12 years there. Then we returned, repatriated. My husband studied counseling. We served in local church. And then 10 years ago, we um, moved back into member care uh, for our agency. Good deal. And before before I hit record, one of the questions that I didn't send you, but it, I thought was interesting, and we'll, I'll lead with that one, and then I'll get, I don't have to worry about uh, forgetting it, was the idea throughout the book, you refer to uh, missionaries, global workers as global messengers. And it was it's another thing that I've thought about, uh, talked about, encouraged, because I think it really captures um, what we are. But anyway, could you just share where, where that came from uh, and, and how you included it in the book? Yeah, I give credit to Mission Training International for that term. I attended one of their um, interagency uh, connection retreats earlier this year, and they were using that term consistently. So I asked them about it, and um, it does come from we are messengers of the gospel, uh, yet we're global. So um, we just wanted to not you know, repeat the same word too many times in the book and come up with lots of different ways to say missionary. Yeah. No, it's one. It's 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 created great conversations. We have many people that are serving in contexts where the word missionary is not allowed, uh, or it's not you know it's frowned right. upon. And so we use global worker. But man, I really like the essence of of global of global messenger. So anyway, I'll jump into the book. So grit to stay, grace to go. Um, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you about is: you share that leaving is not always bad, staying is not always good. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So when Eva and I started working on the book, she was kind of reading some of my uh, what have I what I had written, and she said, "Well, do you have an agenda?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I have an agenda. I want people to stay longer." And as we talked about that, I realized that my goal shouldn't be just to have people stay longer, but to stay well and not leave prematurely because we want to be where God wants us to be. And we don't want to stay just to stay. Um, God does lead people to leave sometimes and not all reasons are negative. Um, there can be a change in direction and a better fit elsewhere. Possibly leadership skills are seen and needed in a different place, but we don't want to leave too soon, nor do we want to stay too long. And so the important thing I think that comes out of the book is to decide wisely which way God is leading. Good word. Good word. Yeah. I really like that phrase. Don't uh, stay too, leave too soon and don't stay too long. I think that sums it up because sometimes we can um, stay for wrong reasons. Uh, you know, we might be just simply stubborn or afraid or just loyal to an agency. And um, we want people to be faithful to God and what he's called them to do, um, whether it's staying or going. That's good. And um, we've, you know, we've served overseas for 20, going on 22 years now. And um, that, that tension, there is a tension. And that, I think that phrase kind of okay. sums it up. Not, you know, leaving's not always bad and staying's not always good and, and walking in that tension. And I think the, the, um, 
the beauty of this book is it really gives you some um, wording and it gives you some framework to begin to have these discussions. So anyway, um, I loved it. So, all right, next question I got for you. In the light of one of the stats you shared, I, I've looked at stats in the past. I wrote a my MBA project on missionary attrition and uh, retention, but you share in the book about the, the stat that 47% of global messengers leave before five years and 70 to 80% leave um, by year eight. Um, and, and you share that that's when they're becoming the most fruitful. So what are some reasons you found that, um, that people maybe are leaving too soon and in this, this kind of window? Well, the whole first section of our book is dedicated to this topic. And I'm pretty sure we didn't cover all the reasons, but when you think about life, it's, it's really hard anyway. And when you add cross-cultural ministry onto that, it's even harder. And the thing is, we go into it expecting hard, but it's harder than we expected. And sometimes it takes um, longer than we thought to find our niche. You know, you're trying all these different things. Um, we're consistently dealing with the unexpected and we're working through relationship challenges. And sometimes we even get so busy with ministry that we aren't deepening our walk with God because we're so busy out in the community. Um, and then we're more susceptible to lies that get us off track and we become self-reliant and our ministry doesn't flow from that walk with God. And so we could give up too soon. Yeah, very good. Very good. I, I hear stories as, um, as a member care provider, a lot of stories about our teammates that leave. And that was what I really wanted to focus on. It's our second part of the book is um, adjusting to and accepting the leaving of our teammates. And I think that's one of the things that makes us want to give up because if everybody else is leaving, why am I staying? Or yeah. I'm left to do it all on my own. And um, that really does contribute to the difficulty as well. Yeah. And I, I appreciated that about the book because it, it does... Um, you know, it clarifies or delineates the the reality that people do come and go and there's impact and there's consequences on both those that come and those that go and the emotional involvement um, that goes with it. And, uh, you know, as I said, we've been on the field 22 years and we've seen people come and go all with this call of God. And so they have a call of God to come and serve. They're good people. It's not that, you know, I think sometimes we've, at least in my early days, I thought, well, they're giving up. And and I signed maybe labels that were unfair. And it was immature of me to do that. And um, I really appreciate how you you share, you know, truth and lies and how and how we can we can look and examine those and um, really appreciate that in the book. The other thing that you you tackled that I had, at least for me, um, it was the first time that I had seen uh, in writing that somebody had tackled the idea of how parents can learn to walk in the tension of making decisions for their children about whether to stay or leave. Could you would you guys be able to maybe on ladies be able to unpack that a little bit more for us? Yeah, I I just think it's vital that we know our kids and and each one is different. You know, each one is unique. And a lot of this decision-making, it depends on how old they are. It depends on what their personalities are, what their strengths, weaknesses are. But I think a, a key element, not only in with kids, but with team, is listening and giving them space to talk through, giving them information that they need, talking about what our options are, and just having a safe place for them to be able to talk and listen to things that we're trying to decide. 
Um, in one situation where we were trying to decide whether to leave or to stay, we were talking with a counselor and the counselor encouraged us, yeah, you need to decide, but don't make the kids feel the burden of that decision or don't make them feel like they were the sole cause of what we've decided. So it's that, I don't know, somehow trying to include them in the decision, but taking the responsibility on ourselves as parents. That's a good word. I think good that word. sometimes um, thinking of it like a physical illness helps. So for instance, if you, a member of the, of the family, a child has a uh, physical illness that needs special care, the whole family would do whatever it took to get that care for that child, even if it meant leaving the field. And of course, when you've got multiple people involved, um, some have to sacrifice. That just happens. And um, I think that we need to take the same attention and care if it's an educational or a mental health or an emotional social need for the children, not just um, physical. And, and it's really, really hard um, fortunately, there are more and more options um, around the world to care for our children in these ways. It's not yeah. so much that you just have to come back to your passport country anymore, but um, encouraging people to do what they can and exhaust their, uh, their resources where they are first, yeah. um, but also be willing to take the hard step of, of leaving for the sake of the child. I, I would point people to uh, Michelle Phoenix, who writes wonderful articles for TCKs, mm. published one um, earlier this year in May titled Leaving the Field for the Sake of a Child. Mm. And she delves into it way more than we do in our book on that topic. So yeah. that's a great resource. Yeah, I will definitely include that in the the links. And that might be another guest on the podcast. So I'm always looking for good uh, missionary guests that are, are people that are speaking uh, specifically into this world. You know, our family, we went through a time um, where it was a coup. It was a security thing. So it wasn't necessarily a physical illness or it wasn't an emotional thing, but it was a security um, situation. Yes. It was a coup. And we had um, our kids were younger at that time. And I always said they didn't run real fast. Um, and there were instances <laughs> where you needed sometimes that the threat was that if, if something broke out on the street, you were going to need to run, you know what I mean? And, and little kids don't necessarily run that fast. Yeah. Um, but our team made the decision. We made that decision together. But ultimately, as you shared, you know, I, it was my decision as the parent. It wasn't, it, it was no blame on them because they couldn't run fast. It was ultimately mm -hmm. my, you know, my job as the parent yeah. to make the decision, what was best for them and owning that in the process, mm -hmm. but not pushing that, you know, saying, Hey, yeah. you're three, you can't run fast. We had to leave because of you. It wasn't, they couldn't run fast. It was just, I couldn't carry him that fast either. So, mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> that idea of, of safety and security too is, is a reason, mm -hmm. um, cause we live in some very precarious places, um, these days. So you, you Aaron, talk, oh, I'm sorry, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I have one other thought. Cause yeah? um, it's, it's, there's such tension in this, this topic. And if you look at the foreword of our book, um, Jeff Adams writes about um, staying in the midst of real insecurity yeah. and war and tension. And, and they, so they made the choice to stay. So yeah. it isn't always, it, it's just no easy answer. And yeah. it's prayerfully considering and asking the Lord to guide. Yeah, it's complex. That's what I, I, I've learned is it is, it is very, very complex. Um, you both mentioned the idea of trying to keep our feet in two worlds. And you cite an author, Carl Alfred, I hope I said his his name correctly, describes the the dangers of social media and being and mentioned uh, a few of them: consumption, distraction, escapism, and overestimating its importance. 
this was also fascinating. This has been a subject of conversation that I've had with many people. And honestly, in my own life, thinking about these, how you've delineated this. Um, yeah. Can you share a little bit more about social media and what that looks like and how maybe that that can impact the, our discussion that we're having today? Yeah, I think, you know, this is an issue that we didn't have to deal with when we started out because we had like snail mail True. and True. important, expensive phone calls. Um, but it's just so easy when you're on social media to compare. When you see pictures of someone in ministry and it looks successful or a family photo and everybody's color coordinated and you can't even get your family all in one, you know, picture. I mean, you you compare and you're like, well, that they're doing so much better or they're... Um, I need to be doing things more like they are. And so you have this comparison thing. And then you see pictures of family, which is great, right? We want to keep up with our family, but you realize what you're missing consistently all the time. It's there, the things that you're missing out on. And it's just trying to balance how can I live where I'm at and really delve into ministry and love this place and learn this language in this culture and still maintain ties with my family and the people back home. Um, and I think that when life and ministry are like really challenging and we're feeling overwhelmed, social media is a very comfortable way to escape without having to purchase a plane ticket. Mm -hmm. And before long, you know, you just have spent all of this time just scrolling and, and you end up on people you don't even know right? Because you just kind of get into that scrolling thing. So just trying to be present where I am and maintain ties. It's just keeping your feet in both worlds. It's a really tough balance. That's a good word. You said it well. Good deal. You know, in, in early, you talked about when, when we first went to the field. So we, we first went to the field, uh, the, a mentor came and he was talking to me, um, Del Tar, and he said, you know, your biggest um, temptation at that time is 20 some years ago, he said, is the airplane. He said, because when I came, I came on a boat and he said, I knew I didn't want to get back on that boat. He said, it was 30 some odd days back on that boat. So he said, whatever I was running up against, it was easier than getting back on that boat for 30 some odd days and going home. He said, you know, your challenge is you can decide you want to leave, book an airline ticket and be gone in 24 hours. And he said, there's that, that temptation of, I can just make a quick decision and make it go away. So mm -hmm. he he shared that with me one day, obviously I was having a low day, but he said, you know, that's going to be something you you'll battle is this, this, the rapidity that you can make a decision and enact that decision and be gone and move away from this. But um, anyway, but he did have some grace in telling me, um, you know, he, he had that option of the boat, which was what wasn't a good option either. So, but anyway, <laughs> so the fact of social media, um, one of the other things I thought also was really great was the idea that bitterness and lack of forgiveness can be themes and missions. And then to be very personally honest with you, that they've been themes that that I've had to continually submit to God, um, con continually um, submit to him. I remember my mentor came to visit me in Burkina Faso and I said, you know, I don't want to get bitter. He said, well, I think you might be there. You know what I mean? And uh, just to, to, to say that because, it, you know, I didn't see it in myself, but this uh, bitterness and lack of forgiveness, um, what are some reasons you think that these two are common themes and how can we begin to to address it and talk about it? Yeah, I think that for the most part, we're not really dealing with trivial issues when we're in team meetings and we're, you know, planning what our vision and ministry goals are. But there are these deeper ministry, philosophical vision differences that cut deep because we hold fast 
to what we see God's call is. And when someone seems to challenge that or someone's doing it differently, um, it's easy to become defensive and we get rigid. And and sometimes we're just different. It can be different personalities or values or customs. But when these clash, sometimes our first instinct is to see it as sin when really it's just a difference. So trying to work through those kind of things and you know, giving ourselves more grace than we give other people um, and really seeking to be a conduit of that grace. But I also think that sometimes when we're feeling wronged, angry, bitter, that we that stews in us because we deal with it alone. We don't, you know, how do you talk about that in a team setting when it's the team you're having issues with? And so it kind of goes deeper and deeper and the damage is done and relationships are broken because we're trying to deal with these things on our own. Yeah, it's good. Well, we all know this isn't just a problem for global workers. This is a yeah. problem for all of us, but it does seem to be magnified when we have to work closely, really closely with other humans. And um, I think, you know, Sue's, Sue's the expert on expectations. And this comes up again. I mean, we expect these are messengers of the gospel. You know, these are people that should be able to live differently. And so we put those expectations on them. And then when they offend us or ignore us or talk down to us or do something that um, we just don't think people that serve God are going to do, I, I think that puts a level of um, just hurt there that we then need to work through and, and forgive. Um, I've been thinking too about, you know, teams who really want to foster intimacy and authenticity and want to keep short accounts and i think they mean well but if they don't also create a safe place to do that um then i think it's going to end up being even more hurtful because they're really digging into each other's business so to speak yeah and yet um not really knowing how to handle that business when they yeah. learn about it and yeah. so some good skills in um just creating safe places and um uh, just, yeah, it, it's really, it, it's tough. I think also just the, we, I mentioned the topic of forbearance in, um, in the book, which has really helped me. This is the overlooking part <laughs> that the Lord asks us to do the, the, the putting up with one another. And um, I think sometimes if we could do a little bit more of that, we might not let the issues get so big that then they become these big issues of needing mediation and forgiveness and things like that. And as you share in the book, when you have people that are in transition, that they didn't necessarily think that they're, they're moving to a country. I've always said, at least within our context, our missions context, you, you raise your, the finances and you do that individually. And so you go to churches and individuals yeah. and you raise that individually. Then you come to the field and all of a sudden you've been doing that for 12 months or whatever it takes you to do it. Then you come to the field and all of a sudden you're on a team. And then the funds and the things you've raised and what the vision you've casted, all that now is put on a team. And there, it's hard mm. to break, at least for me, it was hard to break that individualism yeah. that I felt when I was raising support. And then now I was put on a team. And like you said, sometimes you didn't, you know, you didn't know. Now, the, our second play, Madagascar, we knew, but our first field, we didn't know, we didn't know, really know the people. And you go there and then you're going to work together. And then you have all the, you're in transition. So it can be challenging. Um, and I appreciate the, the, 
the wording and the framework that you've put in the book that allows us to have these conversations, you know what I mean? And to think about and consider that, hey, I didn't know these people and and I'm I'm now going to need to work with them and work closely and they're going to know how I spend my finances and the money I've raised and the relationships and partnerships. And how, it's, it's a close, it's a close thing. So uh, mm-hmm. anyway, anything else about that putting on a team with people you didn't know and having to work together? Any more thoughts on that? Yeah, I have also observed not there's no official stats on this, but my observations that sometimes um, agencies have tried to get around this problem by forming teams of people who know each other before they go out. Okay. And my observation has been that really they don't um, last any longer than teams that are uh, ad hoc thrown together. Wow. Um, I I think maybe again it's an expectation thing yeah. that they think well we. We know each other already. We have the same vision. We've come together. We've prayed about it. Um, we should be able to overcome the things. And then when all those hard things and those challenges that Sue talks about in the first part of the book start to hit, um, they're not prepared. They're just the same as any other team yeah. um, needing to work through the issues. And so, yeah, it's the same principles of forgiveness and forbearance and putting up with one another and working together and having hard conversations and uh, forgiving. And you're trying to do that when everybody's at really high stress levels, Hmm. which is going to make that even harder. And one of the things I've noticed is that you have people coming to join teams. Some are like short-term, some are like middle-term, other people are long-term. You have people who are coming to start a business and workplace professionals, and you have traditional church planters, you have multi-generation, multicultural, Mm -hmm. and you put all of these on a team, I mean, it's going to be hard. And so trying to work through all those things while feeling stressed, you know, just kind of adds to the complexity of loving one another well and serving together. And, you know, I think that that reality, I am this podcast, I've wanted to be diverse. I am um, a proponent of, uh, I want diversity. At the same time, I don't know if we really understand, we really understand how complex and complicated and this idea of forbearance and, and not being easily offended and recognizing that there's probably many ways to do the same thing. Um, because it sounds really good, you know, diversity sounds really good, but if we're not committed to it and when it gets to heart issues, then it can, you know, it can just create conflict. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's a, it's a reality of it. The other, one of the things, the other things you tackled was this idea of, of leadership and that the lack of leadership or a different leadership style, um, how to, how can we learn to grow in grace for leaders? Um, and, uh, and, and leaders can grow in grace for those they serve. Yeah, I, you know, committing ourselves to really seeking to understand one another and accept differences as differences, not as faults. Hmm. Um, and there's also this aspect of knowing our teammates love us. So, for, for example, one of my teammates confronted me about an issue, and I was able to realize what she said was true and get what needed to be fixed, fixed in my life. But the reason I could take that is because she's the one who watched my kids. She came over when I was sick. She invested in me. She spent time with me. We did things socially together. And we had that um, relationship capital to draw from. And if we aren't having 
those kind of relationships when we try to make a withdrawal like when we do a confrontation yeah. it might not go well because we don't have the investment and the relationship that would enable it to you know sustain that withdrawal so i think really seeking to be friends and yeah. invest in each other is one way to help yeah help get through those confrontations with grace yeah my my first leadership lesson was I was a camp counselor post um, undergrad after I graduated from from university and I was um, in charge of two assistants and over the course of the summer I quickly learned very that I needed to have different leadership styles in leading both of these two young women uh, one of them was very responsible stepped up to the plate and I just felt immediately I could trust her with things. And she, so in essence, she proved her worth before. And then I gave her responsibility. The other one just appeared to be uh, laissez-faire or not really concerned. And one day she said, you're not giving me anything to do. And I kind of said, well, you haven't proven to me that you're, you're trustworthy. And, and she, she pushed back on that. And so I realized that she was the kind of person I needed to give responsibility to. And then she would step up to the plate and prove that she could do it. She needed the freedom uh, to try first. And I've always thought about that, that, that some people that we lead um, really want high direction and tell me what to do. And um, we, we just think they're immediately responsible and we can just give them all these tasks. And then other people really want that freedom to just try it themselves and fail and learn and give give me a long leash to be able to just try stuff. And um, I think the leaders that really struggle are those that can't adapt to and 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 look at their the people that they're serving and say how can I best you know lead this one this way and someone else another way. So just encourage leaders to have flexibility and a growth mindset and a willingness to learn, try new ways, um, and really be self-aware, aware of their own style and aware of the people that they lead. Yeah. And, and you add that in generational differences. Um, and oh, yeah. there's generational things that we could see into that. And then I think the other time is, um, the other thing that leaders sometimes feel a great responsibility and um, they feel that responsibility and pressure for things to go a certain way. And it's trying to fit everybody in the same box. And you mentioned it earlier, people that are coming out as, uh, I mean, they've been professionals, you know, they come out in their forties and fifties. It's different than somebody. It's not one's better than worse. They're just different. Yeah. Somebody comes out when I came out, we were young. Um, you know, I didn't have that experience and maturity and honestly, the spiritual maturity that someone would have maybe have older, um, and cause had a little more life experience, but being able to be adaptable in your leadership style, um, does take, does, does take some real intentionality, the real intentionality, mm -hmm. the, the idea of being rootless. Um, this is one that I've, uh, I, I tried to, I, I described myself as living as in, um, a plant and a pot for, you know, probably the first four or five years as a global worker. And then I got tired of just living in a pot and wanting to put roots down, knowing that it was going to mm -hmm. hurt when you took those roots up. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I didn't want to live in a pot because, you know, you get root bound in a pot, just living in a pot. Um, but the idea, mm -hmm. would you just share a little bit about being rootless and um, what's that and why that is so important and how, why we maybe feel rootless and um, maybe for global workers or global messengers? Yeah, I think the first time I 
used this word was after we were with some friends, lived in a small town, we went into a diner and everybody knew their name. And hmm. I did not belong there. I didn't feel at home there, um, but they did. And that just kind of accentuated the rootlessness that I felt. And, you know, when you're home on a home assignment, you're going, you're saying goodbye, you're saying hello. And I would just get used to being with my grandkids and it was time to say goodbye. And just this constant move and then not feeling at home here, but not really feeling at home where I was serving. So, you know, not really quite fitting anywhere, um, which can be hard, but the blessing of it is, is I think cross-cultural workers realize our true citizenship is in heaven and we cling to those eternal roots where our heavenly home is. And um, it's, I don't know if you can call it a curse or and a blessing, you know, but it is a challenge and a joy that you have this sense of rootlessness, but it points us to where our roots are and just a better idea of that heavenly home and yeah, that eternal mindedness, I guess. Very insightful. I I failed earlier to tell you, Aaron, that I'm also a TCK. So okay. address this from that angle um, mm -hmm. that I agree with all those TCKs out there that the hardest question to answer is, is where are you from? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the constant uh, unpacking and moving and getting on a plane and sleeping in strange beds and, um, you know, where are we going next and who, who are we going to see? And just the, the mobility and, um, all of that contributes to, uh, it can feel rootless. Um, and I think it with, again, this is just my observation, but I've seen some TCKs that just continue that sort of rootlessness and a, a sense of restlessness and wanting to wander the rest of their lives and others that, that push back against it and say, I am planting roots and I am never pulling them up again. <laughs> and so we can go to either extreme and yeah. really that's, you know, extremes are never um, the way we want to go. It's uh, life is always a, a combination of both, but it is what Sue said, going back to my true roots go deep into Christ. And mm. that's where my stability is. That's good. My wife is also a TCK and um, early on in our marriage, I realized it was like this every three or four years, she was ready to to move or to do something different or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, and I didn't, I'm not a TCK. I grew up in a small town in West Virginia and lived in the same house, slept in the same bed. And, you know, we took one vacation a year that was six hours away from our house, you know what I mean? So I didn't have that, that rhythm of change, but it's, it's part of who she is and trying to figure out, is God calling you to leave? Or is this just a natural rhythm that I've gotten into mm -hmm. of wanting mm -hmm. to change and, and the discernment. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I've really appreciated um, many things about my wife, but one of those, she really submits that to the Holy spirit to say, is this just a natural rhythm or is it, I need discernment to know what this is and that. And um, anyway, it's just been interesting for a guy married to a TCK navigating yeah. that those seasons and those rhythms of what that looks like for sure. So you also talk about learning to stay when you've been hurt or let down and um, it kind of goes with expectations. Can you give maybe some points on how we can learn to stay even when we've been hurt, let down, or maybe frustrated mm -hmm. by that? Yeah. First I want to just acknowledge that it's really hard. It's hard to see dear friends and colleagues go and um, and so I think it's a, a degree of hurt and disappointment is normal. 
and I want to normalize that. Um, I've seen a lot of attention placed on the ones going, and that's great because there's there's need there. Um, I just had not seen much um, uh, addressing those who stay. And I think some of them can feel overlooked sometimes, or they just sort mm. of have to sort of like, okay, we're just moving on. And there's no real attention uh, given to their hurt, um, their sadness, their unmet expectations. And, uh, you know, maybe sometimes a little bit of guilt that they could have done something to keep their teammates there. Um, and so, yeah, those losses have to be grieved and grieved regularly. Um, I would even encourage people to do it uh, you know, make it a discipline, a regular discipline of mourning because it happens so much. And um, don't wait till they all accumulate and you have, as some of our other mission colleagues say, you know, a tower of grief that comes tumbling down later on. Face it, give it to the Lord, journal, pray, talk to friends, express those emotions, but then come back and remind yourself why you were there. And why has God sent you there? And what is your task? Look around and see who's with you presently, who's currently, you know, in my corner that I, that are, are my colleagues and friends right now. And sometimes you have to go out of your agency to find those or even local churches, local community, um, but those people haven't left. And then there's always readjusting. And so, yeah, let's normalize the hurt, but don't stay there and keep pressing, pressing on. That's one of the things I've learned from Eva is I need to take the time to grieve and to grieve well, because I'm I'm not comfortable there. I, hmm. It doesn't feel spiritual to me for hmm. some reason to grieve. It's almost like, well, you're not trusting God if you're grieving, you know, and just really um, listening to Eva and learning about grief and when people leave or when we're disappointed, um, taking that time to really grieve um, the loss. Yeah. And I don't remember where I heard this, um, but somebody asked the question that we should ask ourselves is what is it like having me for a teammate? Hmm. And, you know, when I think about some of the things my teammates um, put up with, because I, I love to tell stories and my stories are always long. Um, I don't hear well, so they're always having to repeat themselves or um, I talk too much. And even when I'm trying to be a good listener, it just I can't keep the words in. You know, it's all of those things that they forbear, right, that they put up with. And it just makes me so grateful for their grace that minor grievances, things, they just fall away because I realize that it's both people for bearing and showing love to one another. So when we're feeling hurt, take the time to grieve, but also think about, you know, what my teammates put up with, with me and just um, being very grateful for grace and kindness on their part. Yeah. Yeah. It's man. I was going to ask another question, but I won't do it. Um, but appreciate you sharing that the grief and mourning is one that um, I would I would resonate with that, Sue. Uh, it's an area that I'm not comfortable in. And um, mm -hmm. the older I get, the reality is that I'm trying to grow in that. And uh, it's still not natural. It's still not something I naturally sign up for and and want to, you know, just 
but at the same time, I, I realize it, it has the older I get, it just impacts me more and, um, and it impacts the people around me. And, um, and that's, mm -hmm. that's unkind for me to, to, uh, continue to put that on them. So, mm -hmm. and then you, you also talk about the reality investing time into people and then they choose to leave earlier than, than was agreed upon. And, um, the idea then it, yeah, just investing them. How can, how can we, continue to want to invest in people, whether that maybe that's just friendships um, or maybe it's teammates, but investing in them and then not wanting to put up walls and saying, Hey, I've done this before. I'm not going to do it anymore. How can we navigate that? Well, actually the grieving process helps with that. Um, okay. Um, Honey Beefus in her book, the Sojourner's Workbook says that we grieve so that we can have space for new relationships. I'm not quoting her exactly, but that's her, her main point. That, that's the reason for our grieving is because if we don't grieve, um, our hearts are full of that and, and we're so guarded that we don't want to open up to new relationships. But when we grieve, we're, we, uh, that's one really important part of that. Um, I, as, a, as a discipler and mentor, I struggled with this idea of, you know, I, I disciple these people, I invest in them, I I train them and then how can they how can they you know kind of like i have a right then to 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 have them you know to then benefit from their their gifts and so some of that is giving up that right and um seeing myself as part of a of a bigger picture and a bigger plan in not only their life but also in god's global plan and so in the book i talk about and a, a way that I, I picture it as, as God kind of um, leaning over a map of the world. And, and he's like got all the players in, in place. And so, you know, I'm only in my little one little pinpoint on that map, but he's seeing all of the, the countries and all the people groups and all the places and all the ways that he wants to reach and, and have the gospel shared in all these different places. And so he, he, he'll take someone to one place to learn a lesson or learn the language, learn something, meet somebody, and then he moves them somewhere else because he's got a strategic reason over there for the, to take those skills and those gifts to this new place. And, and he's just constantly shuffling all of these people around. And um, that helps me to know that I'm, you know, I don't see that. And I can trust that he's got a reason for bringing that person into my life for this period. And then he's got a reason for moving them somewhere else for something else. And I got the privilege of playing a part in, in that person's story and in maybe influencing or helping them in some way that's going to benefit them to be able to do a better work somewhere else. And so I also like to think, yes, it's a lot of goodbyes, but think about all the hellos and all the people that maybe I didn't have a long standing relationship with them. Maybe it was only for a short period of time, but they're part of my story and they're part of the body of Christ that I'm going to fellowship with in eternity. Yeah. And I know so many more people because of that. Yeah. And so good. I'm grateful. Very, very good. A lot of wisdom there. Sue, any thoughts on this one? I mean, there's just no easy goodbye. And if a goodbye is expected and you have the chance to say goodbye and people leave, it's going to hurt. And when it's unexpected and people leave suddenly, it's going to hurt. And so it's just, you know, again, my, my new lessons in grieving is taking the time to acknowledge that sadness and not move on too quickly and just say, okay, I just got to get over this. And then not 
let it, I really like what Eva said about God bringing people in for a reason and, and to keep investing because you don't know um, who God's going to bring and what that investment might, where that might help them and where God might lead them next. And just, you know, keeping on seeking God's kingdom and knowing that the people he brings into a lot, our lives, he brings for a purpose and to keep investing. That's good. That's good. I I was just recently back in Madagascar. Um, we lived there for 14 years and we're in a restaurant and this, I, you talked about the idea of the hellos when you get to see people again. And um, man, it was, it was interesting. I, I, a lot of times on the island, I was the medical care kind of for the the missionary community. And so I got to, that's when I, most people contacted me and was not, they wouldn't be my friend. They just wanted the medical knowledge. Um, but I had to get to a point. And honestly, it was, I sat there, it was, it was a humbling moment for me, the, the honor to get to walk with people in some of the hardest times of their life. And they called you, you know, I mean, they called me. And, and they, they asked me to walk with them, to get, speak into that and taking that posture of, it's actually an honor that people would want me to invite me into their life and whatever short amount of time, whether that was five minutes on the phone or whatever, but it helped me to shift mentally to not say, Hey, they might be gone or whatever, but to say, it's an honor for somebody to ask. And it's, and when I sat in that restaurant, it was a lot of hellos because these, these people were coming in and, you know I mean? Had an opportunity to say hello. Otherwise, if I would have put a block up and said, Hey, only people that know me can contact you know, then put those blocks up. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't have been, there've been very limited hellos in that restaurant that day, mm-hmm. but the taking that reality, people will leave and it hurts. But at the same time, like you said, there's a lot of hellos when you get to see people, people again uh, and being open to do that. So anyway, that just was a story that came, came to mind. So one, I have two or three more questions for you. I've taken more time than I asked, but I hope we can, if I could just ask you two or three more questions, because these are, I think are good ones. Um, your desire, how can we honestly navigate the desire to wanting to stay or leave and being honest with ourselves? Um, and who do, how do we, do we invite people into this? How do we invite people into this, into this conversation of staying and leaving? Yeah, I, I'm a journaler and I find that when I'm writing things out, it helps me process things well, praying about things. I talk with trusted friends and I look for resources to help me if it's a topic. Like this year, my word is hope. So I've been doing all these studies on hope because I knew I needed that word this year. Um, and I think we need to look deep and not be afraid of how we're feeling or mm. what we might decide. Um I remember at one point due to a health issue, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to go back overseas. And I remember thinking, who will I be if I'm not a cross-cultural worker? What will my identity be? And just that fear of what would I do? It was, um, and having to release that and trust God's sovereign purposes. Um, Sometimes we confuse what a goal is and what a desire is. Um, goals involve what we can control, like our emotions, our actions, our thoughts, things like that. Desires, those are things that we hope to achieve, but we can't control. And sometimes when we get those confused, it's, um, it makes it difficult to make a decision and actually taking the time to think, have a, you know, piece of paper with goals on one side. How do we differentiate those? I think kind of thinking through, through those things help us determine what we want, but to not be afraid of what God has next. 
I could speak into the um, who we can invite into this because um, I've seen a lot of hurt on teams where um, decisions were made and um, well, people didn't know about it. They didn't know that their teammates were hmm. that close to considering going or, um, and so um, knowing who to invite into the conversation is hard. Um, we encourage everyone to have a, a network, more than one voice uh, to speak. So pastors and mentors or spiritual directors, therapists, coaches, as well as your teammates. And um, you, certainly you're sending um, sending churches and your agency leaders as, that you can bring into the conversation as, as soon as possible is helpful. But that's also the tension. You tell someone too soon and then it's hard to stay present and they have to move on. You yeah. wait too late and then people are upset and don't feel like they were included. So it is really must be a spirit-led um, hmm. process because we just um, and we may not always get it right, even as much as we really try to. But finding voices that are going to um, be concerned for both you and your ministry. So on the one hand, people that are concerned about you may not really take into consideration this uh, resiliency or grit or perseverance through hard times. What might it take to stay? Um, someone who's just concerned about the ministry uh, may not take into consideration your well-being and your needs and your your family's needs and your mental health or your emotional health and things like that. So it's trying to find someone and sometimes maybe someone who doesn't have as much stake in the game. Mm. You know, uh, the ministry has to and the agency has to think of it from the agency's point of view. And mm. um, and so it, a variety of voices to help you yeah. um, is what we recommend. Yeah. And you kind of, you both kind of hit on a little bit, the idea of moving on mentally. Um, I, I've seen this happen. And honestly, it, it happens to me every time I get ready to go on furlough, I battle with, you know, it's, it's a transition, but I begin to move on mentally. And, um, and sometimes I found, you know, uh, over 20, 22 years, um, people have already made the decision to leave before they, you know, they bring it to you, but they've already mentally made the decision. So they're not really asking. They're kind of, informing you, if that makes sense, um, and trying to navigate that. How can we remain mentally present and not move on? Is that a fair question? Yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> it takes intentionality. It takes self-awareness. Um, I wasn't really good at this. It was always, you know, what's the next thing? Or, um, wow, if we could go back to when, you know, when we had all that team, you know, two years ago, that was the dream team, you know. So um, staying present, yeah, takes... Um, just really thinking about it, you know, asking ourselves, what do I need to do today? What's the next thing? You know, who's in my path today that I need to engage with? Um, those are some of the things that have helped me. Um, I also, uh, my husband is a counselor, so I've been learning about some counseling techniques. There's one called grounding. And um, it, it, this is used often in, in, you know, overwhelming stress and intense anxiety. And this, that, that may not be where you're at in but I think the um, principle is good in that it helps us to just look around and say, what do I see, hear, smell um, right now around me? And, okay, I am here, right here. And so what do I need to do here today? Sue, any thoughts on this one? Well, I, I worked really hard on this earlier this year because we were planning our move back to the U.S., 
but I was trying to stay present in where we were living in Europe. And, you know, there's so much to do in preparing to move. So I was kind of looking ahead. What am I going to take? What am I going to leave behind? And, um, but I also had to, I wanted to stay involved in the present and be with my friends and take part in ministry, but also how do I start weaning myself off ministry so that other people can take those positions? I mean, it's just a real um, tricky, tricky thing, I think. But, you know, you're doing all that. You're trying to stay present. You're trying to plan ahead. And you're trying to do that in the midst of all these emotions that come with transition, you know, that feel, you know, I'm going to go to my coffee shop one more time. And and just because we know God is the one leading us, it doesn't take away the grief or the need to process things well in order to move on. So it's just really seeking to be present, to be wise, um, be here today and kind of plan for tomorrow, but not take tomorrow today, you know, just that kind of, um, yeah, trying to do both things and, and do it while grieving, I think makes it a little difficult. Yeah. Very, very true. Very, very true. Last question I have for you. And then I'm going to ask if we could, if one of you or both of you could pray for us, um, healthy goodbyes. Could you just share uh, a few key points on what healthy goodbyes look like and maybe, and I guess that would juxtapose on what healthy goodbyes don't look like. Um, but anyway, just healthy goodbyes. We actually just experienced this this past spring and, um, you know, taking the time to be with people, um, listening to kind words, even though it might be a little embarrassing, um, but taking the time to speak kind words. Um, yeah, I'd said goodbye to my favorite coffee shop several times because I kept wanting to go back. <laughs> Once wasn't enough. Um, you know, riding the Metro one more time. Um, we closed our apartment a week early and moved in with a teammate so that we didn't have that last week uh, distressed with still trying to get out of our apartment. Um, my lady friends had a goodbye tea party for me at one of my favorite places. We had a farewell picnic at the church. Um, the thing I appreciated about our teammates and our coworkers is they were very intentional in saying goodbye. We want you to come over. We want to make sure we have time to say goodbye. Um, but again, even with the healthiest of goodbyes, transitions are hard, and there's just no way around that. But I think a healthy goodbye, one that takes the time, it's just it makes it a bit sweeter, yeah. you know, when we leave. And one of our moves, we didn't have healthy goodbyes. It was kind of a awkward um governmental issue that we had to leave and you didn't know who to take, say what to. And, you know, I look back on that and, and it was, I wish I would have had more time, you know, to say goodbye. Cause it's, yeah, there was never really any good closure for that. So these healthy goodbyes make the transition sweeter. Yeah. I, I would just point people to the, to the raft method, which I think yeah. most people know about these days from, yeah. um, Pollock and Van Renken, um, that we rec we, sh we reconcile any relationship issues first. That's the R yeah. and the A that we affirm. We take the time to say those words to people of how much they've meant to us. Uh, we say farewell. That's what Sue was talking about. All the different people and places and pets and things and one last time here and one more, um, one more day with someone. And then we, um, but 
while we're doing all that, we still have to think ahead. Um, but that's the T to our, our next destination. And um, I, I think it's just a, a really helpful acronym and helps us get our mind around what we, how we can do it. But yeah. on top of that, I added one more thing um, in the book was the need to bless others. And hmm. um, I see the, the word in Greek, eulogeo, um, I hope I say that right, comes from our English word uh, eulogy. And it's the idea of saying to someone, I know what you would say in a eulogy. Hmm. Are we saying those things that, that tell them what they mean to us and what, yeah. how they've contributed to the work and their, their good character and just those things you would say, why wait till someone's um, funeral service to tell them those things, bless them now as yeah. they go. And maybe it's been a difficult parting and there may not be a whole lot of kind things that you can think of, but can you think of one, one thing that you can say to them? And I think that's under the affirmation of the raft. Um, but yes, Bless your teammates. Try to bless them as they go. Could we end in prayer? I don't, one of you or both of you would like to pray and just pray that, uh, yeah, we'll put links for the book. Um, and thank you both for making that available. You have a, We have a special link for those listening in, and that'll be in the show notes. And thank you for working that out, um, that they can get it at discount. And I uh, really appreciate that. So we'll have that in the show notes and highlight that. And that is very much uh, appreciated. But would you, one of you maybe pray for us or both of you pray that the your book and the information will be something that we put into action. And I really appreciate that because it, there's a lot of action. As I said, and when I asked you to be on the podcast, I could have interviewed you like three for three episodes. Um, and I, these are about only the third of the questions that I had. Um, it, it's excellent. And I've really enjoyed it. And it's impacted my life. So would you pray for us? Father, thank you for... Um, Eva, thank you for um, just the experience you've given her, for her collaborating on this book. I thank you that you are the God who gives encouragement and you give endurance. Thank you for the truth in your word that keeps us steady when lies tempt us to fall away. I pray that by the power of your spirit, that you would encourage each reader and each global messenger to rely on you, to trust you, to look to you for direction. I pray that each one of us would not leave too soon, nor would we stay too long, but that we would look to you to guide our steps for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Lord God, I want to lift up my fellow global messengers around the world who are really struggling to stay. Um, so many disappointments and struggles and hardships have come their way that they are wondering if they're in the right place or if this is where you really ask them to be or how can they continue to stay when so many have left. Lord, would you meet them where they're at today and um, comfort their grief and loss and um, encourage them from your word. Uh, give them strength of soul to persevere. And then if they are making really hard decisions and it is time to leave, that you would make their path very clear in front of them. Thank you, Lord. We know that this is not an easy uh, issue. There's no easy answers. And even our book, as helpful as it might be, 
is not going to uh, give them everything that they need, but your Holy Spirit can. We want, um, we want our fellow global messengers to have grit and resilience and perseverance and strength of character, but we also want them to follow you and be faithful to your calling. So Lord, guide, thank you that you are orchestrating all of the work around the world and it is your big picture and you know what you're doing. And I'm also grateful for Sue for inviting me into this project. And thank you so much for having me. Amen. Amen.